Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. All right. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm Rafi Salazar, but you already know that from the intro, right? Well, I don't know about y'all, but it is the middle of July <laughs> here in Georgia, and it is hot. I feel like the air conditioner in this office, so our office is upstairs, or my office is upstairs above the clinic, and they did not build these offices up here back in the 80s, which is when our freestanding clinic was built. They didn't build them with a whole lot of insulation, so I feel like our air conditioning has been running basically nonstop. So if you hear some in the background, it's that cool, refreshing air hitting me while I speak to you. (laughs) Anyways, this week, we are taking a little bit of a break from the standard interview um, formation that we normally do here at uh, the Better Outcomes show. And mainly it's because I've been wrapped up in this book that's coming out, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. Look for it in October of 2022. And uh, you can actually go pre-order it now. I'll put a link in the show notes. But that's neither here nor there. And then I was out of town for a while on business. So just the way the scheduling worked out, we didn't get time to get an interview done. So what I decided to do was we talk a lot about patient-centered care, about building an organization that centers around the people who it ultimately serves, which are both the clients or the patients coming into the clinic to receive services, but also the individuals, the staff, the clinicians that are providing those services. So what I decided to do was reach back into the archives and back at the tail end of 2021, during our year-long webinar series, we did one on, we called it the bottom-up approach. I think on the website, it's actually called something more um, or less original, uh, direct-to-consumer marketing, I believe is what it's called on the website, but I'll link to that if you want to see the slides. What I figured I would do is just pull the audio from that and let y'all listen to just some of the discussion around creating a patient-centric business, both from the administrative side, so how do we onboard patients, how do we market to them, how do we bring them in, how do we convert that lead into a an appointment or a paying customer or patient. And then the other side, how do we deliver those services? What happens? What does the experience need to look like when they're actually in clinic? Kind of bridging that gap from, okay, that we're doing all this marketing to get new patients in the door, but what do we do when they're here? So I figured we would just have a little discussion, a throwback, if you would, to this uh, webinar and hopefully it just prompts some discussion or some thought amongst you and your team about what you're doing currently and um, how you can make alterations to your, maybe it's just something the way that you're onboarding new patients. Maybe it's the way you're communicating, sending communications out, whatever it happens to be, um, and do it in a way that becomes more patient-centric. So 
what we'll talk about is understanding direct uh, direct consumer or this whole direct access marketing kind of at a high level. We'll discuss the importance of that first clinical and procedural interactions or contact points between prospective patients, patients that have booked an appointment and your organization. Uh, we'll explain what I mean by a bottom up approach to patient interactions and their significance, both for long term uh, retention of patients and for kind of the business metrics, business success, right? And then we'll explore the importance of talking about the big M word with patients. So money, talking about value, not shying away from having those value discussions with patients, and then how to train your staff and both administrative and clinical staff, how to have those conversations with patients and prospective patients. So without further ado, here is what we're calling a bottom-up process succeeding with direct to consumer marketing all right all right well, it is about three or four minutes past the hour so we're just going to dive right in so welcome everybody to uh, what i'm calling direct consumer marketing in healthcare strategies for success really what we're going to be talking about is a bottom-up approach to healthcare not only the process of care, but also um, the actual implementation of your marketing and how that all should work from an onboarding standpoint, all the way down to what happens when they actually, these patients actually show up at your clinic for an appointment. So without further ado, let's dive right in. This is kind of the background about me. So I am an occupational therapist by trade. Um, did that for, well, I still do that now, but um, worked at Charlie Nord VA Medical Center for about four or five years uh, doing outpatient specialty rehab and got to do a lot of cool stuff at the Department of Veterans Affairs around integrated interprofessional clinical practice, collaborative practice. We started an interprofessional pain management program. We started some uh, what was called relationship-based care. Um, which basically the idea was that we were going to firm up the relationships within the, the treating team or the interdisciplinary team. And that was going to uh, decrease length of stay, improve patient engagement, all of that kind of stuff. Um, from there, I went to uh, start consulting for the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities on a similar project. We were doing integrated clinical support services, integrated clinical care for the department, basically across the state of Georgia, transitioning folks out of state institutions and supporting them and their caregivers out in the community. All of that work, the, the relationship-based care work, some of this interprofessional collaborative work at the VA, and then this work that I was doing at the state of Georgia, or for the state of Georgia, um, really sent me on a mission to figure out why it is that according to the literature, seven out of 10 patients in the physical therapy, occupational therapy world won't complete their plan of care. Um, and that kind of led me to patient engagement, patient retention. And that is what I do at Rehab U Practice Solutions. We help uh, health healthcare organizations improve patient engagement and retention rates with the long-term goal of improving clinical outcomes or helping them uh, help their patients and clients achieve better clinical outcomes. Um, on top of that, I was a professor on and off for several years, but between 2015 and up until last year, 2020, when I finally left, stepped away from academia for a while um, to, to do Rehab U full-time, and then also own a multidisciplinary outpatient PTOT clinic here in Augusta, Georgia. So that's me in a nutshell. Let's talk about the important stuff. 
why are we here? We're going to talk very, at a very high level about lead generation strategies for direct to consumer marketing, specifically in healthcare, specifically in outpatient clinics where um, independent outpatient clinics, even where you don't have a built-in referral source, where you're looking at your business development plans revolving around reaching out and getting those patients and those prospective patients wherever they are and bringing them to your clinic. We're going to discuss the importance of that first clinical interaction between that patient or prospective patient or prospective client and your organization from the clinical appointment side and then also from the procedural Point appointments or procedural interactions. So how are we onboarding patients? How are we communicating with them? All of that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about what I call a bottom-up approach to client interactions and their significance and how they can increase conversion rates, retention rates, all of that kind of stuff. We'll talk about a framework. So I hate, I hate rigid protocols. I hate like very prescriptive uh, processes, but there, there's some value in having a framework, a standardized process, if you will, for an initial evaluation or an initial assessment. Um, one that is aimed at, again, being bottom-up, which is being entirely patient-centered. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the important thing, right? Um, talking about the M word with clients. So money, selling, having a value discussion. As clinicians, we're kind of put off by that a lot of times because we feel like you know, we don't want to be a sleazy car salesman. But at the same time, we have to understand that our patients and our clients are making decisions about where they go, where they spend their time, what to invest in you know, their health, for lack of a better word. Um, and that's all based off of their own prioritization. So we need to be equipped with the one with the confidence in the value that we provide, but also the, the understanding of where that client is coming from and then the ability to communicate what we offer at the clinic or at our department, whatever it happens to be, and how that fits into the client's priorities and, and goals and long-term vision for their, their health, their well-being. And we need to be able to have a conversation about that with them at that first appointment so that we can all be on the same page about this is where, you know, this is where your goals are, this is where you want to go, and this is how we as an organization or me as a clinician fit into that in a way that facilitates that client or prospective client making the decision to prioritize you and your appointments over the myriad of other commitments they have. I don't know about you, um, but I've got meetings. I've got four kids and one on the way. Like I've got a bunch of stuff <laughs> that is on my plate. I run two businesses. I sit on the board of directors for NBCOT. There are literally endless ways that I could spend my time and use my, use my resources and my money and my time. So in order for me to carve time away from, let's say my family or from work, it better be something that I prioritize highly enough to make that decision. And we need to have those conversations with clients and prospective clients at that very first appointment. So we'll talk about kind of how to structure the conversation, how to move through an assessment process that ultimately leads with the co-creation of a plan of care that the patient or the client has co-created with you and is in, is it bought in with you to the point where they're willing to prioritize showing up when they need to show up. Right. Um, let's start with the very, very beginning though. How do we get 
clients or patients in our clinic. Um, typically, um, and historically, it's been doctor's referrals, right? So whether you are a private outpatient clinic, whether you're a hospital-based outpatient department or rehab department, um, or associated with a big health system, and I'm thinking of the big ones in like even in the Atlanta area, you've got Wellstar or something big like that, or Piedmont that has hospitals and they also own a bunch of private um, outpatient clinics and doctors and specialty clinics. And they're all kind of referring in their network here at Augusta. We've got a big one with the university. Augusta University has their hospital, but they've also purchased and acquired several independent clinics and specialists. And they, for the most part, they try to keep a lot of those referrals internal. So for them, they, they very much are still operating under this referral-based patient acquisition model, right? The problem with that is that that puts the, the independent clinician or the clinicians that are running these organizations, these, these uh, clinics within this system as sort of a passive recipient of the, of the referrals, right? They're not actively going out and pursuing patient opportunities. They're not going out and reaching those patients that would otherwise not receive the services because they have a steady stream of referrals coming from their referral partners. Um, and that's kind of been the way any private healthcare clinic and any outpatient rehabilitation clinic has received patients and, and acquired patients for as long as we can remember, right? You got a referral from a doctor, that started a plan of care. We got the patient coming in, they got referred, yada, yada, yada. We, we kind of move them through our process from there. And it kind of looks something like this. So um, off to the left there, you see maybe a, a person that has had a fall <laughs> they went to the hospital or to a doctor and that doctor made the referral out. Maybe they went and sent them to get x-rays. Maybe they sent them to, to pain management or to orthopedics to get an injection or steroid shot or something like that. And maybe sometimes they would send them to physiotherapy. Now, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is going to be from the lens of an outpatient physical or occupational therapy clinic, because that's that's where I come from, right? I'm an occupational therapist. I own and operate one of these clinics. A lot of my clients are occupational therapists and, and physical therapists running independent, um, independent chains or independent organizations that are providing services. But a lot of this process and a lot of what we're going to talk about applies regardless of what your specialization is. If you're a, an ophthalmologist trying to acquire new patients, some of this will definitely apply to you. So anyways, so the typical model has been very hierarchical that the patient goes to see the doctor, the doctor makes the decision about where this patient is going to go and what this patient actually needs, right? Again, they might go send them to multiple places. They might send them to, to imaging, orthopedics, and you know physical therapy, or they might just send them to imaging and then have them come back and then maybe send them to specialization and make them come back. All in all, it puts the the doctor or the the hospital, if it's an outpatient, if it's a hospital-based system, kind of as the gatekeeper for all the other services, all the ancillary services. So that's just kind of an understanding of, of where it's been for the last several decades, right? So the question remains: how should we think about getting new clients and new patients? Because of the wonderful advent of the internet, the world has been Googleized, for lack of a better word, to steal David C. Baker's term, has been Googleized, which means patients, for the most part, have options 
And there they begin to, to look at those options, regardless of whether or not they're going to see their doctor. I'm sure you've had this experience where you were doing an initial assessment on a patient and they've come in and they say, well, I went to WebMD and I saw like, this is what I have wrong with me. And this is what I need. Right. So that works from a, like a diagnostic standpoint, <laughs> the patients are, are filled with this information that they're beginning to kind of figure out, okay, what's, what's wrong with me? What kind of, what kind of treatments are available? What do I need? What that has also done has really improved and increased the, the rate of those patients deciding that they're going to take their care into their own hands and they're going to independently reach out to clinicians they believe can help them. Part of this has been aided by uh, direct access laws in very many states that basically say you do not need a physician referral in order to legally treat a patient with low back pain, for example. And then that coupled with things like Medicare not requiring a physician script for, for physical or occupational therapy services for a lot of the PPO uh, plans on the commercial side being the, the very same way where they don't require a physician referral to, to see a specialist. Kind of all of those factors, the advent of the internet, um, direct access laws, the, the fact that payers are willing to reimburse for services that have not been referred by a physician, coupled with just a general awareness and move in the, uh, in the healthcare market, for lack of a better word, to more of a consumer-driven model where it used to be you went to the doctor, they told you what was happening. We're at the point now in the world where I can pull up my cell phone and I can get, you know, Chick-fil-A delivered to my office. Like I'm used to, I'm used to being able to reach and with a few taps of a button, getting what I want when I want it almost at the time that I want it at. Right. And that mindset has definitely shifted to patients. And now they're thinking I'm in pain or I have a dysfunction or limitation, whatever it is. I have an idea of what I want and what I, what I think I need. And I want to be able to receive it now. So all of that kind of combined points us to the fact that really especially in the outpatient and the ancillary health services and the specialist world of things, our new business development strategy needs to involve a core component of, of what's called direct-to-consumer marketing. If you've never heard of that, that's basically just you are reaching directly to patients and prospective patients instead of marketing to a physician group looking for a referral or referral partners. Um, this fact alone changes the client organization relationship or the client clinician relationship. Well, how very, very, the very, very first basic thing is that these patients oftentimes might've never heard of you or they don't necessarily know that they need you, right? If you get a referral from a physician for, you know, Mr. Smith that has knee pain, odds are that physician has had the conversation with Mr. Smith about what is going on with his knee and about whether or not uh, physical therapy might be appropriate. They might've even said something like, I'm going to refer you to clinic ABC because I know them and I know that they do good with patients and they're close to, your, close to where you live or close to where you work. That fact alone means that the patient is already coming to you for that first appointment with some idea about you. They might trust you a little bit more because their physician trusts you. They know that they're going to be receiving physical therapy at your clinic because they have a referral for physical therapy clinic um, or for physical therapy services. When you are reaching somebody, let's say on social media or 
in a, another form of direct to consumer um, marketing, whether it be direct mail or radio, whatever it happens to be, that a lot of that those barriers or those potential objections have not been satisfied by the time the patient comes to you. Um, they might not know why, if they do really need your services because their doctor hasn't told them they really need it. They haven't had a conversation whether or not the doctor trusts them. And we'll talk, you can talk more about you know, the importance of social proof and getting reviews and all that down the line. But at the very, very basic level, what we're talking about is the difference between a referral and quote unquote cold traffic, right? So a referral has is coming to you with some pre, pre either preconceived expectations or knowledge about you and your services from the referring provider versus cold traffic or a directing consumer approach where you're just, they, the patient knows they have pain, they know they have a, a dysfunction and they think you might be able to help because they saw maybe an ad or an offer that you, that you put in front of them, right? So the way direct access works and the way hopefully it, it's working to improve clinical outcomes in the long run, and there is plenty of research to support um, moving to ancillary healthcare services, primarily for things like low back pain and knee pain and chronic back pain and that kind of thing, having physiotherapy as a frontline offer actually decreases the overall cost of care in the long run. So the research is starting to bear this out as well. But the way it works now is you've got, you know, this light blue couple here, <laughs> one of them fell, maybe they have an injury. Now the option is they can go see the doctor. They can go to a hospital. That option still exists. However, there's a whole lot less bureaucracy and burden of just trying to get things done if they go directly to their to the provider uh, providing those ancillary services, right? So they could go straight down and get right into a PT clinic and start getting treated right away instead of going to their to the hospital or to the physician group, waiting for a referral to come back maybe getting sent to x-rays first. And maybe you want to do that as a clinician. We'll talk about that in a little bit too, how the arrow between um, between the, the physician, so that hospital in the middle there, and the ancillary providers, because of direct access, really has become a two-way streak. And part of your long-term like referral strategy should be developing strong referral relationships with physicians, organizations that you feel comfortable referring patients back and forth to, right? So we at Proactive, which is the clinic that I run, we have a few, um, we have a few doctor's offices that we have strong relationships with. They send us referrals on a fairly consistent basis. And because we're running a lot of direct to consumer marketing, we are running into a larger and larger number of, of patients and, and clients who are coming to us maybe without a direct or without a without a primary care physician at all or maybe they have a primary care physician they haven't seen in a while or maybe they're coming to us and they know that ultimately they want to speak to a specialist but they're they haven't seen their primary care physician in a year and a half they don't really know they don't want to go make an appointment so we're able to make those referrals on our end you know we're able to send a patient to this ortho department that we really trust or this primary care physician that we really trust and that even that builds that referral relationship even stronger because now it's not just a one-way street where we're kind of coming with our hand out to a a physician's group saying please send us patients we really need patients we're coming from a value add standpoint of listen 
we're doing good by your patients, the ones that you've already sent us, we've gotten really good outcomes for them. And we're in a position now where we're looking for a physician group that we can send patients to when we feel that they need them and we'd love for it to be you. And it's a much stronger value proposition for those referral providers than, hey, we just want you to send us patients and thank you, <laughs> you know? So that relationship now becomes two ways. And that's a pretty exciting thing from a from a patient care standpoint as well, because it means no matter where this patient is going, no matter where they land, we can get them to where they need to go. You know, we tell patients all the time, listen, we might not be the right place for you, but we are going to get you to where you need to go. Whether that be ortho, neuro, whatever, we're going to get you there because we have the relationship now with these physicians and we feel comfortable sending you there, right? Sometimes we can handle it all internally and that's wonderful. But obviously there are times where we need to, to look at um, developing those relationships. So let's talk a little bit about how do we tap into this direct access market or this, this population of patients that would otherwise not receive services in some cases because they don't want to go through the headache of going through their primary care physician to get a referral, yada, yada, yada. Um, and the entire population of people that won't ever receive services if we don't reach out to them. I think um, the, the, the numbers change every year, but it, it hovers around the same that about 90%, between 87 and 90% of patients with musculoskeletal pain in the U S will not receive physiotherapy services. The reasons for that are, are wide ranging, could be coverage, could be, um, the fact that they don't, they have, they don't want to go through their primary care physician. So they're kind of just put off by the medical system. Maybe they've gone and seen several clinicians before and they're just kind of burnt out, whatever the reason may be, 90%, upwards of 90% of patients that have pain, like real pain that's limiting their life, limiting their function, won't receive the care they need, or that at least that the research indicates would benefit them, right? So even if you're, even if you're truly maximizing on all of the referrals that you could be getting from all your referral partners, it still means you're only tapping about 10% of the available market in your area, right? There's still this vast majority of, of, of prospective patients that would likely never get the services that you offer in a given year. Speaking to the physiotherapists in the room, right? So how do we go about tapping into those patients or reaching out to them and saying, hey, we have something that can really help you? Because again, this should be entirely patient-centric. We're not doing this to line our own pockets. We're doing this fundamentally, I believe that I got into healthcare and I'm sure you did too. I got into healthcare because I really wanted to help people. So I had a, an experience right before my senior year in high school, where I ended up cutting my flexor pollicis longus tendon, my median nerve, my radial branch of my median nerve. And I was in a Kleinert splint for a while. And I was in and out of a, a hand therapy clinic for basically the balance of the summer before my senior year and into my senior year in high school. And that experience just changed the way that I looked at what I wanted to do with my life, right? I could have been an engineer. I could have gone and gone into healthcare administration, whatever, whatever it was. But ultimately, I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people get over the pain and overcome whatever limitations they had. And I'm sure the more and more I talk to clinicians like you guys out in the world, the more and more I get that very same um that same idea from y'all is that we got into healthcare because we wanted to help people, right? We have a problem specifically in the United States here where we have 90% 
of people, nine out of 10 patients that are literally in pain that is causing them dysfunction in life, not receiving the services that they, that they need or that the research shows would definitely benefit them. For me, that means that it, that, that makes me feel like it is my obligation. It is my moral duty to go reach as many of those patients as possible and help improve their daily life in whatever way we can. Maybe it's a one-time visit where we're giving them education and guidance on what they need to do to better self-manage their, their pain at home. Maybe it happens to be a referral to somebody, to another clinician that can help them in a different way. And maybe, just maybe, it turns into a plan of care that we're able to help the patient, that patient over a longer period of time to make some real gains, whatever it has, whatever, whatever the outcome is, uh, it's our obligation to try to reach out to those patients and offer them the services that we know can benefit them, right? So that involves what we call business development, right? It, it involves reaching out to those patients and actually putting a system in place that takes prospective patients or patients that might not even know they need your services and turn them into uh, uh, patients that are on caseload. I was going to say paying customers, and, and that's basically what they are, right? We, we've got patients that are buying into the services that we offer. The way we do that and the way we should think about doing that, especially from a direct-to-consumer marketing standpoint, is something that we call direct response marketing. It's basically, um, well, we'll talk about what directors to direct responses here in a minute, but it's it's a fundamentally different approach to patient-clinician interactions, right? We need to demonstrate the value that we provide on that first appointment, and if we can do it before then, even better, right? If, we, if, if our onboarding process, the way we gather information from patients makes them feel validated, heard, and listened to, they're automatically going to, to feel like the, the, the services that we provide are going to be at a higher value, right? So the client in many cases comes to their appointment not fully convinced that you can solve their problem. You know, they might've seen an offer that you have, maybe it was a you know, shoulder screening or something like that they have shoulder pain. They're going to come and have you do a screening on them and then tell them what the options are, right? So they're coming to you, might, they might not even think that you even have the answers. They're just going to come and see what, what the options are, right? Um, you need to show them the value you can provide them within the context of treatment and their long-term recovery. Um, and so the way we do that, the way we actually reach out and get these patients is what we call direct response marketing. Direct response basically means we are taking some sort of offer or a specific offer or a specific opportunity, if you would, and we're presenting that offer and, or opportunity to a population or to a, an audience of prospective clients. What we are then doing is tracking that we're tracking the, the analytics and the data, obviously, but what we're then doing is trying to take those, that traffic that we're getting from wherever we're getting it, having it view our offer. And then the goal is to convert some of those that land on our offer page to an actual in-clinic appointment or telehealth, whatever you happen to be doing. The difference between this type of marketing and um, brand awareness or just general spray and pray marketing is that direct, direct response marketing is very targeted and it is very analytical. What I mean by that is not that you need to be a statistical genius, but 
if you think about putting up a billboard or playing a, a commercial on the radio, um, those types of advertising do a little bit to get your name out there, right? You might have your logo out there, maybe your, your face, your picture, whatever it happens to be, but there's really no way of tracking how that's related, like how that's increasing or decreasing the number of visits that are showing up in your clinic. You throw a billboard up there. Sure. Some people see it. Maybe they'll make your, um, maybe they'll make an appointment with your clinic. Maybe it just prompts them that they need physical therapy and they just search physical therapy and then they go somewhere else. Right. So there's, it's very hard to track where the, or the results that you're getting for the money that you're spending, especially for those of us in the small business um, the small business world. So I only have 10 employees at my clinic. We're not a super large organization. I don't have a gazillion dollars to go throw around on, you know, pay-per-click and advertisements here in the, in the magazines and the billboards and radio. I don't have that kind of money. I've got enough to be effective, but the only way that it's going to be effective is if I spend it wisely. And the way we spend it wisely is we want to make sure that we're putting a dollar into advertising and we're getting you know, a buck 75 back, right? So it, this type of marketing mindset really requires that you understand a few of your key metrics, right? How much, um, how much is an initial appointment worth to you? How much are you willing to spend to, to book one of those, all of that kind of stuff. And then you can start kind of extrapolating from there. Okay. If I'm converting at this percentage, if, if one out of 10 patients that land on my landing page turn into a, um, an appointment and that appointment is worth this much money to me, the you know, X number of dollars is the amount of, of money I need to spend in order to, you know, get 50 new appointments in my clinic. It's a very, very, I mean, you could do an entire webinar series on direct response marketing and how it works, but that's basically it in a nutshell. Instead of spray and pray, it's very targeted and you're trying to optimize for conversions, either conversions in the short term or conversions in the long term. Um, so what we'll do here, I think I've got the next slide is kind of just the idea of what is this? Yep, here we go. So this is kind of an illustration of the direct response. We'll call it the buying cycle, if you would. So on the left, you've got all the traffic sources that you can get, right? You might be running Instagram ads or Pinterest or whatever, name your social media giant that you want to spend money at. The idea is we're getting traffic from those sources and then we're funneling them to some kind of an offer. Maybe it is a, a free screening, maybe it's a paid screening, maybe it's um, a consult or evaluation, whatever, what, however you want to, ter to term it. Um, at the clinic right now, we're running a complete knee assessment in a complete sciatica assessment. Those are two uh, different offers that we're running now. And we're kind of funneling traffic to landing pages for each of those offers. And then what happens is the majority of those patients that land on a, an offer that you put in front of them are not going to book right away. And that's totally fine. So they kind of drop down to that little email arrow, right? So they, they land on the offer. They decide, oh, I'm not really ready to make that commitment yet, to make that behavioral change, if you would, to book an appointment. Um, but I'll keep in contact with this person. So they'll drop down into your, what we call a CRM or your, your client relationship management system. And at that point, you're kind of, you're going through 
a, a building of no like, and trust value, if you would, with them through your content, through what you're offering and providing them via, it might be email, phone, text, whatever it happens to be. Um, and then the ultimate goal is that after they follow this exploration cycle, so that maybe they've read, they're reading what you have on your website. Maybe they're reading your regular newsletter. If you put one out, which you should be doing, um, maybe they're following you on social media and they do this, this kind of circulation, if you would kind of thinking and contemplating about whether or not they believe that you have the, the services or the, the solution to their problem. Some of those, uh, I would think if you're doing it right, a, a greater percentage than you would be aware of will convert into appointments, right? That's kind of a long-term game. The short-term game is that we take all this traffic, it comes to this offer, and a percentage of those, if you're doing it correctly, it should be around 10% or so, will convert to this little calendar, this schedule, right? Which means that they've, they know they have an issue, they know they have a problem, um, they might even have been looking for a solution to the problem when they came across your ad or your offer. So they clicked through, they saw your offer, it looked legitimate to them, and they felt that it could uh, provide the relief that they want or give them the, the outcome that they desire. So they book an appointment with you. Boom. Like I said, um, it should be close to 10%. So if you start thinking about all of this, like the numbers, you should start thinking in your brain, okay, 10% conversion rate from the landing page. This is how much it's costing per to get someone to a landing page, you know, yada, yada, yada. You can begin extrapolating how much money it's costing you to get this first appointment. Um, and then again, like the goal is for you to spend a dollar on advertising and to make a dollar 75 back. To me, that's a no brainer. If I'm, if I'm converting at a, at a 10% rate, and we know that we're making money off of the patients that we're bringing in, I will dump money into that into that campaign all day long because it's a good investment, right? We're putting money in, we're making money out enough to not just cover our overhead, but then also keep growth going. So anyways, this is kind of the, the direct response uh, buyer cycle, if you would. So we're taking the traffic, we're putting it at an offer. Some of those appointments will be, or some of those uh, people that look at the offer will book an appointment. Some of them won't, and that's okay. In fact, they say at any given time in a market, 97% um, of an available market that, that will purchase in the next six months will not purchase today. So, I mean, you're talking that's from, from retail and stuff like that. But again, it kind of points you in that direction. Like not everybody that lands on your, on your landing page or your offer page is going to book an appointment and that's totally fine. Um, okay. So the direct response buyer cycle, I kind of talked about it a little bit, but I like this quote a lot because it does kind of point us where we need to be pointing. So sales promotion should be used almost exclusively um, in support of other promotional activities because it offers basically or essentially a short-term gain, whether or not it takes the form of a, of a price-based promotion. So what we're saying is all this traffic that we're getting in this previous slide, all of this traffic is sending people to an offer and that offer might convert in the short term about between, let's say, 7 and 10% of those people into an appointment. That's a very short-term gain. And it's great. I mean, if, you're, if your census is low and you need 10 patients, you know that you need to get about 100 of them to your landing page. That's super, that's super helpful information, right? However, for the buyer cycle in this type of marketing strategy, where we are going direct to consumer, we're not relying on a physician referral, 
the long game is really where it's at. This drop down funnel where we're getting people into our world, so to speak, and we're providing valuable content that is building that know, like, and trust value with them so that they ultimately feel and believe that we're the ones that they can help them, right? Um, so it usually takes multiple touches or interactions before a conversion takes place. Um, the numbers change every year again, but the last I heard was uh, 33 touches and 23 interactions or something like that. Um, for And that, again, this is for like online businesses, so I'm sure it's a little lower for in-person and stuff like that. But however, um, you're talking a, a large number of touches, which are interactions with your organization or your marketing or your content before a patient is really ready to make that leap of being a, an actual appointment on your books, right? Um, so you need to build that know, like, and trust value before a prospective client becomes a scheduled appointment. So this is kind of the uh, that buyer cycle kind of explains. So maybe it's awareness. That awareness is you putting an ad in front of them, right? Or maybe one of their um, social network friends has shared one of your posts, whatever it is, they become aware of you. They then go through this exploration phase. Maybe they did click through on that advertisement and landed on your landing page. They read about it. They decided, you know what? I'm not ready to make that commitment now. So they go to your website. They dig through your website. They're looking through, um, they're meeting the team. They're looking through other content that you've written. If you've got blog posts up or helpful videos, whatever resources that you got available. At that point, maybe they make the decision, okay, this clinic can help me. So they do what is called an initial conversion. They will book that first appointment, but it is not done yet. You know, seven out of 10 patients that, that start a plan of care and physical therapy don't complete it, which means that only three out of 10 do. <laughs> so this is very much an initial conversion. They book that first appointment. What needs to happen then is at that first appointment, you need to deliver enough value that they see the importance of prioritizing your services in that plan of care so that they come back up here after this initial conversion. And it's called what we call the post eval or post POC engagement, which is everything from how we're communicating uh, to patients after that evaluation, how are we keeping um, them accountable to their home programs? If we've got home programs, what are we doing to keep the lines of communication open so that if they have a question or a stumbling block or whatever, they could reach out to us and get it. Um, there are plenty of secure messaging options out there, but we do this with all of our patients here at the clinic. Um, they get a secure messaging portal and I tell all of them, listen, if you've got a problem with this, shoot me a secure message or shoot one of my people a secure message. We try to answer them once a day, we'll get you covered, right? Um, but it's that post-eval or post-POC engagement that is really where the, the money is in a lot of ways. Because again, if seven out of 10 patients over the, you know, nationally are not completing their, their course of care, that's just a lot of money on the table. I've heard it's like six or $7 billion a year of missed revenue opportunity costs because patients just aren't showing up, right? So... That brings us back to this idea of cold traffic. What's the big deal? <laughs> well, fundamentally, um, patients that we're pulling in from cold traffic, maybe onto a landing page and they book to our appointments, um, it ultimately, it changes the approach that we need to take with the interactions, right? 
We must demonstrate value at that first appointment. I've already said that because the, the client comes to that appointment, not fully convinced that you can solve their problem and you need to show them within the context of treatment, what you can do, right? That's just kind of a review of what we talked about earlier. So conversion, this is where it's at. So there are two conversions must take place in this direct to consumer healthcare marketing, right? That first conversion, we've already said, leads to that first appointment. Maybe it's a screening, maybe it's a consult, maybe it's an evaluation, however you want to name it, title it, bill for it, whatever. There's a first appointment, right? Then you've got the, the conversion from, a, from an initial consult. What makes this patient or this prospective patient or client become more than just a one-off visit, right? And that is where the plan of care comes into play and you're establishing, um, establishing the client within your organization as a, a recognized patient or a patient on caseload, however you, however you want to break it down. Um, after number two, after that second conversion, we need to focus on re-engagement throughout that plan of care because there's always going to be something, right? There's always going to be another commitment or another priority or something that's going to prevent that patient from limiting their participation or decreasing their participation altogether, right? Um, I always tell my staff and the clients that I work with, like, once you get them on the plan of care, you're not out of the woods yet. You are, you basically have to look at them and their, their situation and look at all the road mines or landmines that are between where they are and where they want to be. And our job as clinicians, a lot of times, and as an organization is to do as much as we can to remove those landmines so that they'll actually show up to their appointments. So they'll get the outcomes they want so that they'll feel positive and hopeful about the future and recovery, because that's ultimately why they're there for you in the first place, right? They're not there because they um, want to be massaged or they want some kind of manual technique. They're there because they believe that you can help them overcome their pain, right? So we need to deliver on that. The best way we can deliver on that is by helping remove some of those roadblocks that we know in the long run are going to, to leave them in the same situation they are now. So there's four instances when we need to focus on conversion and the next step. So before they've signed up for an appointment, and we'll talk about that in a minute, when they show up for that initial screening, what does it look like? What, you know, what does that first appointment entail that makes sure that they will, they will not be just a one-off appointment, but actually a plan of care or an established patient? Um, so after you've completed that first visit and then throughout their course of care. So let's talk first about before. So what happens when you get a referral from a physician, let's say, most of the time, sorry, taking a drink, most of the time what'll happen, and this happens in clinics across the country, is we take a very top-down approach to our process for onboarding. We call the patient, we say, hello, Mr. Smith, um, Dr. Jones referred you to us for knee pain. Um, let me validate the information that I've got on file and let's get you on the books. So we go through what's important to us. It might be the demographics. It might be making sure we got their date of birth, uh, their social security, um, their financials, their insurance, all of that. We get all of that out of the way. And then even the, the organizations that are trying to be patient-centered might get what's important to the client. They might get their goals for treatment. They get, might get their narrative experience. But most of the time, 
what they do is they get everything that they need from our end, from the administrative side. We get their demographics, their date of birth. We get them inputted into the system. We get them scheduled. All right, your appointment is in one day, two days, two weeks, whatever it happens to be. Um, see you later, right? We'll see you at your appointment. Especially in the direct-to-consumer marketing and direct-to-consumer strategy for healthcare, this is a losing strategy because what you have done... <laughs> has been provide zero value in that initial interaction, right? We've taken, 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 taken from the, from the client or the prospective client, and we haven't given anything back. We've gotten all the information we need, but the client is still left wondering, well, can this person fix me or fix the problem or help me? Um, does this person or does this clinic understand what is going on with my situation? They're left wondering because we haven't gone through the steps to really provide that validation and that listening. So what we need to do, especially if we're reaching out in a direct response way and a direct to consumer way for these clients, we need to instigate what is called a bottom-up approach, which is basically that the client always comes first, right? So we do this a lot with the, the clients that I work with. And even at the clinic that I run now, we have like our first we call it our first interaction checklist or our first call checklist. And it's basically the information that we need to get from the patient goes at the bottom. Everything else goes at the top. And I'm very, very strict and kind of like, I'm very, very um, anal about making sure that when clients call or when potential clients call, that we are following the order in which we have laid out to gather the information that we need, right? Because the order is more important than what you collect. We're still going to collect the date of birth. We're still going to collect their financial information. We're still going to get all that administrative, that sterile side of healthcare that no one really cares about in the long run. I mean, you do as a business owner, right? Um, but the client doesn't care about it. And we're putting that at the bottom. And what we're putting at the top or the, what we're putting up front at first is everything about the patient and their situation. So we, I have my, my clients and my, my staff at my clinic start with questions like, okay, Mr. Smith, thank you for calling the clinic. Um, how did you hear about us? Um, can I get a good number in case we get disconnected? Like that's all the basics, boom, done, out of the way. The next question is something along the lines of, well, tell me about what's going on. The patient will then explain something. We're getting their narrative story, right? Um, their narrative or experiential perspective of their pain, their injury, their dysfunction, whatever it is. And then we have a series of open-ended questions that I require one or two of them get asked. And one of them might be something like, well, how is this affecting your daily routine? Or if the patient says something about work, like how is this affecting your work? You could tailor it to this individual patient. But what we're doing is we're trying to gather insights and context that are going to be used during that initial appointment and that build therapeutic rapport and trust at the first interaction before they even come into the clinic, this client is feeling like they're being heard, they're being listened to, they're being understood. And that provides value to clients. That makes them more engaged. It makes them more likely to show up for their appointments. When you follow something like this, where they, they walk away, they hang up that phone and they think, wow, that was different than any other healthcare experience that I've ever had booking an initial appointment. I feel like this client, this, this clinic might actually be doing something for me. I'm going to show up to their appointment, right? The point here is that this client story always comes first. We always get 
their experiential perspective or their narrative experience before we get on to the nitty gritty. And I even, like when I was doing this, so we had a, I bought this clinic back in October of last year, coming up on a year here. And like within a couple of weeks, my, my front office lady quit because she just had a life, a life situation that was, it was just very sad. So anyways, so there I am stuck running, um, running the front desk for a while. And I'm telling you, so I decided that we were going to go entirely bottom up from the beginning at this clinic. So I changed up the way we were handling intake, the way things were being processed, all about getting this patient experiential perspective. And I started doing that probably mid-November of last year. Um, and we do, so we do things like the care survey, which basically is just a measure of the experiential perspective of healthcare uh, service delivery. Um, and we were doing that kind of at the beginning before we made this, this switch. And then after we made this switch and the, the scores for the care survey went up tremendously. And it was all because the patients felt like they were, were understood. Right. So we started doing this back in, in November of last year. And now we do it with all of our clients at rehab U, and then all of the, the staff here proactive, like we are following a bottom-up approach to everything, to the, the onboarding, that initial call all the way down to the initial assessment, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But the point is that we're getting the all about them information before we move on to the details. And I will even say this, I would say this on the calls with patients, like, listen, we'll get to your insurance. We'll get to all of that later. But the reality is like, none of that matters if you and I don't think that I can help you. So why don't we talk about what's going on with you? And it totally shifted the mindset and the attitude of that patient. Because instead of calling and asking, do you take my insurance or I need therapy, whatever it happens to be, instead of looking at you and your clinic as a commodity, you're now kind of increasing your leverage, if you would, in the relationship to being that of an, of an expert or a consultant, if you would. And that you know, clients are more apt to listening to you, right? <laughs> if they feel like you're, um, if you're an expert that they're getting access to, and if you are discerning, you know, like we have definitely told patients during that first initial call, you know what, it does not sound like you'd be a good fit for us. Um, but we definitely want to, uh, to send you to some place that's going to help you. So let's make you a referral somewhere else. And being able to say no like that is huge because it validates your position as an expert. And, you know, we can talk about that maybe on another webinar down the line, but the position of expertise. However, so let's look at the, like the example questions that we would want to have as, um, as somebody taking a bottom of approach. So obviously we'd start with like, tell me a little bit about what's going on. Um, how long has this been, you know, have, how long have you been experiencing your back pain? Okay. What have you tried so far? Has any of that helped? Um, how does this pain that you're feeling impact your day-to-day -day life and routines? Basically the kind of information that you would get during an initial evaluation, <laughs> some of it anyway, some of that subjective experience, we want to get up front because what we're going to do is we're going to pass that information along to the clinicians and they're going to be armed with that before the patient shows up so that they know this is Mr. Smith. He has back pain. He can't sit down for long periods of time, but he works at a computer. He wants to be able to play with his grandkids in the backyard and he can't. Just knowing that information just, just changes the questions that you ask in that initial evaluation. And if you do it right, that patient is going to be like, man, they took all that information and they really, they used it in my evaluation. And it, you know, 
it feels more patient centered, right? You want to get their goals and expectations. So we ask this in our intake paperwork and we ask this during the, during that initial call, what are your expectations for treatment? What do you hope to get out of treatment? Um, what would be your, your goal for treatment? You know, do you want to be able to, to walk again with no pain in your lower back? Or, or do you want to get back to throwing the, the baseball in the backyard with the grandkids, whatever it happens to be? Um, how do you see treatment helping you, right? That's getting that expectation from the client. Because what we know is that patients' expectations inform their perceptions and, in, and perceptions inform their reality. So we want to address their expectations at the very beginning so that we know that we're delivering services that the patient will find valuable. We also get to the money stuff, right? We want to be very transparent. We want to provide an experience unlike a, any other model. So depending on your, your business model, if you're out of network or if you're insurance-based, um, whatever it happens to be, we want to address the money topic before the first meeting and after the plan of care creation. What that means is, we usually address that on the first call or the first interaction. Um, again, it's near the bottom. It's after we've taken the, 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 the patient or the client's experiential perspective. Um, what we will do and what we have had clients do this, that's been very effective is say something like, we'll look over your benefits and provide you a detailed explanation before your first appointment with us. Um, I've had some clients that will call a patient back like 48 hours before their appointment and say, hey, Mr. Smith, just want you to know we ran your benefits and this is how much you can expect to pay on your first appointment. And this is how much you can expect to pay in all subsequent appointments. I just wanted to give you a heads up before you even came in. Um, and again, you're going to want to train your staff about handling those objective objections. If there is an objection around cost. Um, but if you've done a lot of the legwork, right, if you've gotten their experiential perspective, if you have that information, it makes that a lot easier because even if it is a high copay or a high deductible or they're out of network and they're going to have to spend some money, if you have gone through building the no like, and trust of this clinic understands me, they know that they can help me. They are, they're the first, maybe they're the first clinic out there that I've reached out to that has asked the questions about how it's affecting my life, yada, yada, yada. Um, they're going to be more likely to at least show up for that first appointment. And then once they're at that first appointment, then you have another conversation about that cost. Like, listen, I know you're out of network. It's costing you 50 bucks a visit to be here, 75 bucks a visit, whatever it happens to be. Um, what can we do in order to help you not only get the outcomes you want, because that's ultimately what we want. We want you to be pain-free, but what can we do so that it's, it's financially viable for you in the long run, right? Like we need to have those conversations with patients at the beginning. We don't want, the last thing we want is for um, is for a client to leave our clinic to have a very good experience and they get slammed with like a $700 bill that they didn't know was coming, right? So anyways, when they show up for the appointment, um, what happens, right? <laughs> we want to leverage that information that we picked up in that first step. So the, the clinician should look over that first call checklist if you got it or this information from a client um, and use it in the evaluation. Again, during the actual assessment, it's all about them. We're doing a bottom-up approach. We're doing some uh, test, treat, retest, or yeah, test, treat, retest um, to show that we're going to be able to provide the value. We're, we're participating in knowledge translation and empowerment. Again, that's where the high value is for a lot of us. It's not in the hands. It's not in the manual techniques, but it's in the self-management techniques and skills that we can pass on to them. So bottom-up assessment in, involves a few simple steps. Um, 
obviously the intro, the review, the intake form, all the information you've gotten from the first call checklist. You have to do an assessment and evaluation, obviously. And this is where test, treat, retest comes into play. Because this patient or this prospective client has shown up for this first appointment and they're direct to consumer, their direct response, they were not given any insight about you from a physician. We want to show them at that first appointment that we can actually help them. The easiest way to do that is to test their problem, to do a simple treatment, and then to retest. This might be something as simple as, all right, let me you know, push right here, pull right there, move again. Do you feel pain there? Oh, it's gotten better. Okay. Well, then we know that it's this muscle and it's doing, that's doing two things. One, it's showing the patient or the client that you know what you're doing <laughs> and that your treatments work. And then two, it's building that trust in them that they are looking at the treatments you're providing and saying, man, I felt good after just that. I imagine what will happen after a few treatments, right? You want to apply the principles of knowledge translation. So um, I can't remember what episode of the podcast we had Bronnie Thompson from New Zealand on, and she talked about really the, the value that, that clinicians provide in healthcare is the ability to take all of the knowledge that we have about clinical situations, pathophysiological processes, and apply it to the patient in their specific context. Given that understanding of our value, we want to be able to provide knowledge and understanding at that first appointment to a patient about what it is that is going on with them, what the potential treatment outcomes are, and what they can expect from treatment. So all of that falls under knowledge translation. This is what's this is what we think is wrong with you. This is what the, the assessment points to. This is how we can help, yada, yada, yada. You want to do that all at the beginning because again, that is the value that we provide. The It's not so much the hands-on stuff, although that can be helpful. Really the long-term value that clinicians provide to healthcare is the ability to empower patients to become self-managers of their own issues, right? Especially in the, in the world of chronic pain, like I'm from. Then we do a treatment plan co-creation, right? Um, we, do, we identify their goals. We identify how long we think it's going to take. We define what success looks like. Um, and then again, we discuss the financial aspect of it. Like, listen, I really believe that if we do maybe two times a week for a couple of weeks and then back you up to one time a week after that, like we could really see some real gains at the beginning. Is that something that's going to work for you in your situation? Or do we need to alter the, the treatment plan to make it work for your you for work for you economically. Right. And then you provide a treatment. You always, 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 always. I don't know if I can say that enough. You always provide a treatment at that first evaluation because it does patients no good to show up to find out what is wrong with them and then have to wait for the next appointment. It's just from a customer service standpoint, it's terrible from a engagement standpoint. It's terrible. We want these patients to come in or these clients to come in to feel some relief, to have some hope for the future, and then to get actual help on that road to recovery right then and there before they have to schedule another appointment, right? So I'm always a stickler about that. We want to treat at the time of eval because it's going to provide, um, it's going to provide the relief and it's going to start the patients on that road to recovery. So what does a treatment plan look like? Um, well, it's got to identify a few things, right? <laughs> their, their limitations or their pain, uh, the summary of the eval um, or the assessment and the recommendations from the findings, um, the client goals, 
we want to define what success looks like. And then obviously a place to sign. So we have a little form that we give to clients that, that they use. And we use some here at the clinic, but it's, it's very simple. It's like a one pager, you know, Mr. Smith, knee pain. It's a you know, eight out of 10 when he's walking up the stairs, it limits him with X, Y, Z. During the evaluation, we saw that his, um, maybe his vastus medialis is weak or whatever it happens to be that's causing this biomechanical dysfunction. So it's causing the pain and the limitations. His goal is to be able to walk up, you know, a flight of stairs with zero pain. What does success look like? That he's able to walk up a flight of stairs with zero pain or whatever, whatever success looks like for him. Like maybe it's that he has the, the, the exercise and the, and the knowledge at home to be able to do it without having to come into the clinic eight times a week or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Um, and then a place to sign. We have the, we have the client sign it and we have the clinician sign it. And it's that physical act of signing it that is buying the client into the plan of care, right? And that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, so the plan of care creation, money talks. We have to talk about value. We have to, have to, have to talk about the value that we provide as clinicians. The goal in the plan of care um, or the goals in the plan of care represent the outcome that the patient hopes to receive from our services, right? So the cost of that treatment needs to be framed in terms of that outcome. You can't just say, well, a visit is 50 bucks for you. It's 50 bucks. It's going to cost you this much. Again, it is our ethical and moral duty to talk about money with our clients. These patients are spending their time and resources with us. We need to have a conversation with them about what they can expect to spend, about why we are recommending whatever we're recommending in terms of their, their out-of-pocket expenses, and then how that money that they're spending, that time that we're spending, um, equates to and affects the outcomes they can hope to receive. And it doesn't always have to be money. I had a guy who was the, uh, the CEO of a healthcare, a big healthcare conglomerate that was a patient. And he didn't have a problem in the world spending whatever it was for, for treatment. He didn't care about that. His thing was time. His time was valuable to him. He, he had to know that when he was coming in for a clinic it, for, for an appointment, it wasn't to run through the same exercise he ran through last time. It wasn't to you know do cookie cutter treatment programs. He wanted to get value in and out. He didn't mind if it was five minutes or 50 minutes, as long as he got value the whole time. And we had that conversation at the very beginning, that very first appointment. And he was not bashful about saying that. And it was great for me because I was able to say, listen, I know your time is valuable. This is what we're going to do today. We're going to pin, you know, like a striker mission. We're going to come in. We're going to hit this problem. We're going to, we're going to get it fixed for you, get you on the road. And then you can come back in, in a week or two and we'll, we'll kind of revisit again. Right. Um, and he was super, super engaged because we had that conversation at the beginning. And I knew that his time was more important to him than whether or not he spent the money or not. After that plan of care is created, what happens after that first visit? We need to follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. Clients are the most engaged after that first appointment, especially if you've done it right. They're either, they're either really engaged or they're disengaged. So if you botch the eval or botch that first appointment, they, they're never coming back no matter what. So hopefully that didn't happen. But if you did it right and that patient is bought into their plan of care, they believe you can help them. They believe that the, the cost that they're going to bear for the services are worth it because it's been framed in the context of their outcomes or the desired outcomes. They are the most engaged after that first appointment. They've felt better. You've treated them. They have a little bit of hope about the future. They have a, a shiny new home program that they're going to 
maybe not forget about. <laughs> um, and they're they're just more engaged. They're they're more cognizantly aware of their their problem and the the solution. So we want to send a note or a message to them to do a couple things. One, um, ensure they don't have any questions and that they're getting on well with, with their home program, if that's what it is. And then again, we're trying to build this in the long term. We want to ask for a review and referral, right? So we want to say, listen, I hope that you had a, you know, a great experience with our clinic. We're really looking forward to helping you overcome that shoulder pain, that, that impingement that you're experiencing. I wanted to reach out and make sure that you didn't have any questions after looking over the, the home program. Um, if you had any questions or that you didn't have any problems with it. Um, P.S., by the way, um, we would love to help. We're on a mission to help as many patients as we can with shoulder pain. If you think of somebody in your immediate circle, whether you know, a neighbor or relative or something like that, we'd love the opportunity to talk to them. Would you mind sending a referral? Or if you're going to do the, the review thing, same kind of lead up, only would you mind rating us on Google so that other people find us, whatever happens to be. And then hopefully they will, most of the time, if you've done it right, I mean, you can expect like a 25%, you know, 10 to 25% of patients will, will do one of those things, right? They'll, they'll leave you a referral or they'll, they'll say, oh, maybe I've, I've got a friend that might be interested or whatever. Um, I think right now at the clinic that I own, own and operate, um, we have booked probably, so we're, we're doing about 50 or so evals a, a month. I would think probably 10, well, more than that this last month. So eight of them have been, eight of them for this last month have been patients who came to us and said, you know, Cindy came and saw you and she said, I really need to come see you, um, for my back or, you know, my neighbor down the street said that you're the guys to come talk to about my knee pain or about my back pain. Or, or something similar, right? So that, that word of mouth referral network is huge. Um, because again, these patients might not know that they, they don't have the, the information from a physician. The physician hasn't talked you up. They don't know whether or not you can fix their problem. And having a neighbor or having a family member say, these people help me, they can help you. It will, will increase the odds of them feeling that know, like, and trust before they show up, right? All right. Let's wrap up here really quick. So throughout the plan of care, what do we want to do? We want to keep them engaged. It's all about what we call either a focus goal or the goal for the patient. What, does, what did that patient say? Was it they wanted to walk up the stairs pain-free? They wanted to throw the baseball with their, in the backyard with their grandkids, whatever it happens to be. We want to focus everything about our treatment around that goal. So we want to be asking them about it every time. How are you doing climbing stairs? Are they getting easier? Are they getting better? How is it in the backyard throwing the baseball with your grandkids? Is it getting easier? Is there pain? Where is the pain? How can we address that? Maybe it's this muscle. Let's look at that. And then we want to, throughout the treatment plan, test, treat, retest at every appointment. Okay, so you're having pain when you're moving this way. Hmm, how about if we apply this here? How about if you try moving this way? How about if we modify it in this manner? Is that better? Okay, it is. You're having less pain now. Let's continue with this. We know where we're going now. We're trying to regularly update everything we're doing, the, the, the home program, the plan of care if needed, because what we want to do is make sure that, that client knows that every time they're coming to see us, they're getting value. And that value is the individualization of their own treatment plan. They're not doing the same thing as the other guy that's, that, that was in before or the other the other person that came in for the exact same issue because we were working on two different goals or because their situation is a little different, right? 
Um, so the main takeaways, there is a fundamental difference between referrals and cold traffics. We've already talked about that. Referrals are cut there. It's an easier conversion, right? Um, clinical administrative processes need to be bottom up, which means we, we need to take the patient's experiential perspective and put it kind of at the center of everything we're doing. That comes first. The patient comes first. Then all the other stuff we need to get healthcare done comes next. All the billing, all of the demographics, all of that comes only after we have discovered the patient's experiential perspective and demonstrated that we understand and we value their input. During the assessment and the plan of care creation, um, maybe we'll use something like motivational interviewing or active listening to, to individually tailor a treatment plan for that patient. Again, everything's individual. It's patient-centered. It's patient-centered. It's not cookie cutter here. And then um, it is our ethical and moral responsibility to em embrace transparency, right? Both in the way we're creating the treatment plan. So we're co-creating a treatment plan with our patients. We're talking with them about that goal. We're talking with them about what we're going to do and how we feel like it's going to help them achieve that goal. Um, and then we're talking to them about the financial costs or the time costs, the time commitments of coming to, to, to treatment. Because again, it's super, super important for them. And it's a, an obligation that we have. We don't want a patient walking away and then getting slammed with a surprise bill. We want them to know at the beginning, this is how much it's going to cost you to achieve these goals. And then if they have a problem with that, we have the conversation about it, but we don't just skirt around it. It's our responsibility to be transparent in everything that we do. I don't know if you have questions, you can contact me, shoot me an email, Rafi, R-A-F-I, at rehabupracticesolutions.com. Um, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connecting, talking with folks about patient engagement, how we can improve the client-centeredness of our organizations. Um, and then if you want to learn more about how Rehab U can help you in your organization, you can head down to that link, just rehabupracticesolutions.com slash consulting. Um, we help healthcare organizations attract, acquire, engage, and retain more patients. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, reach out. Love to have a conversation with you. All right. Well, that's basically it. <laughs> Hopefully uh, you got some kind of takeaway from the webinar. Mainly what I want to do is just prompt a discussion or at least a thought process in your own mind as you think about setting up your organizations, running your clinics, running your departments even, or your healthcare system, regional healthcare system, to more than just the transactional approach. We've got an article coming out here in the next little bit, uh, maybe part of my second book. We'll see if I can get uh, the energy to do another one. Uh, I've got the idea behind it, but the the main point is how do we move away from that transactional approach or the transactional interaction, specifically in healthcare, as healthcare continues to grow, as a lot of big players start consolidating in the market or eating up or gobbling up those smaller independent practices, how do we maintain human connection, human relationships and foster those relationships while delivering a high standard of care at scale. So, you know, the last episode we had with uh, Steve Albanese from Access PT, we talked a little bit about that. Like, how do you keep that human connection while you continue to grow? Same basic principle. As healthcare continues to expand and consolidation occurs in the market, we really want to look at how we can develop long-term, real, meaningful relationships with our patients. So, 
That's it. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Um, and if you want to learn more about how Rehab U Practice Solutions can help you attract, engage, and retain more patients, uh, head on over to www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. That's rehab, the letter U, practicesolutions.com. Until the next time, be safe, be healthy. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.